there's a seven-year-old in our congregation. His name is Grayson. And Grayson is in the second grade, and Grayson has been sharing with his classmates. He's been telling them about Jesus. He gives me reports every Sunday and Wednesday when he's here with his family for church. He gives me updates on how his friends are receiving the gospel. And he tells me that some of them are, in his words, easy to teach, and some of them are hard to teach. It's awesome. It's so encouraging. I know his parents are very encouraged, as, as we our pastors are as well. I asked him, I said, you know, what are you telling? What are you sharing with your friends? And one of the things, there's, there's a lot I could share, but one of them that he's been telling his friends about, he says to them, he says, if you put Jesus first in your life, others second, and yourself third, you will have joy. Now, most of you here know where Grayson learned that. He learned that right here in this sanctuary in a children's sermon. Do you remember it? We'll put the slide back up. This is a refresher. We taught the children. We said, if you put Jesus first, if you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you love others, you think about their needs and their concerns, you put them above your own, you put yourself third, you will have joy. Grayson gets it. Grayson learned it here. He internalized it. Now he's sharing it with his second grade classmates. He gets it. Do you? We conclude today our final sermon in our series on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. And we've seen that this is his main theme, that we can have joy. In every circumstance, we entitled the sermon series, All Things Through Christ, The Secret for Joy in Every Circumstance. It's really an audacious claim, if you think about it, that comes from the Apostle Paul to the Philippians and by the Spirit to us, that we can have joy in every circumstance, whether the stock market is going up or down, we can have joy It doesn't just say, endure every circumstance. It doesn't just say, circumstances will get better if you believe in Jesus. It says, in any circumstance, we can have joy. Paul begins to wrap up his argument here in chapter 4. He begins to wrap up his whole statement to the Philippian church with our reading today. And in verse 4, I love the way he phrases it. He says to them, rejoice always. In the Lord. And then, as if to say, Did you hear me? Let me repeat myself. He says, Again, I'll say it. Rejoice. I didn't say endure. I said, Rejoice. Have joy in every single circumstance. Wow. This is an amazing thing for Paul, especially, to say because his circumstance was not looking so good. I love the way Pastor David phrased it last week when he preached. He said, you know, Paul didn't write Philippians from a Christian retreat center. He wrote it from an ancient Roman prison. He probably had a dirt floor beneath his feet with who knows what critters scurrying about. We know from history that if you were a prisoner in ancient Rome, the prison didn't feed you. 
You relied on charity from people outside the prison to come in and bring you food. Paul may have been starving. We know even from this reading, he sends this letter to them to thank them for the food that they've been giving him. You've revived your concern for me, he says. Thank you. This is a thank you letter that he gives to them because they sent some people over to bring Paul food. Paul is in a terrible situation. And even there, chained to a Roman guard in a Roman prison, starving, he says, rejoice. Rejoice. Have joy, no matter what the circumstance. This is very different than the way we normally think, isn't it? Normally, we look at the, at the circumstance around us. We look at the exterior things going on outside of us, and we rely on the circumstance to give us happiness or anxiety. When things are going really well, we relax. When things are going really badly, we panic. We have anxiety. When the stock market goes up, we breathe a little bit. When the stock market goes down, we freak out. When family's going well, when the health diagnosis is good, we relax, we're happy. When it's bad, we get anxious. Paul is saying no matter what's happening around us, we can actually have joy that doesn't depend on the exterior. And that's how we see Paul starts to explain how this might be possible in our lives, how we might have joy in every circumstance because he locates the battle for joy, not in our exterior circumstances, but in our thought world, in our hearts, and in our minds. That's where the battle for joy is won. Let's read about it, starting in verse 7. Here's what Paul says. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. You see this? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. It's not that the peace of God will make your circumstances better. It says the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. I want you to picture this with me now. I want you to picture a guard. Picture it like maybe Paul was picturing. We know he's chained to a Roman guard, but he's in the city of Philippi. And the city of Philippi in the ancient world was a place where Roman soldiers and dignitaries went basically to retire. They could live on their Roman pension in Philippi. So I'm picturing Paul now as he's in the town of Philippi as he would watch a, a Roman dignitary walk into the city streets now, a Roman dignitary walking through the city streets of Philippi would never be walking alone. He'd be surrounded by guards. The Roman dignitary would never walk into the street alone because any lunatic could come running in off the side of the street and attack him. Or anybody could be hiding in the corners to shoot an arrow at the Roman dignitary, settling some old dispute back when they were in their army days or whatever. So a Roman dignitary walking into town would be surrounded probably by four guards, two in front of him and two behind him, guarding against any attack that might come from the outside. Paul says to us, your heart, your mind, it needs a guard like that. Who is the guard that's offered to us here? The peace of God. Can you imagine having the peace of God constantly guarding your heart? in your mind? That sounds pretty good. 
Because I don't know about you, but I have arrows flying into my thought world all the time. All kinds of things come flying into my consciousness. I'm having a conversation with somebody. The conversation's not going the way I thought it was going to go. I start thinking, I start feeling bitterness. It's an arrow flying into my consciousness. Resentment. Sometimes it's envy. Self-righteousness. Arrows come flying in. Entitlement. Sometimes when things are going really well, I want just a little bit more. Entitlement. And I realize, too, I am such a sinner. I'm so sinful that, that these arrows, they don't always just come from the outside. Sometimes it's my own heart firing those arrows into my mind. That's how depraved my heart is. I need the peace of God to guard, to bat down those arrows to guard my heart and my mind, to guard my interior world, not to change my circumstances, but to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. Do you want to guard like that? There's another metaphor in Scripture. It's similar to this one. It's from the Old Testament. It's from the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 15. And in the Song of Songs, it, it paints this beautiful picture of a vineyard. Picture your mind and your heart now as a, as a vineyard, a beautiful, lush, garden-like vineyard that's growing much fruit. Can you just picture your, your heart and your mind as a vineyard? And in Song of Songs, it says, catch for us the foxes that sneak into our vineyard. Catch them and send them out of the vineyard. It's a beautiful prayer, isn't it? It's like the arrows coming, darting into my heart and my mind. I need God. I need the peace of God to guard me against those. I need God to come in and, and catch the fox. You know who the fox is? It's the enemy of our souls, and he sneaks in to steal and to destroy. What does the enemy want to steal from us? Our joy. That's his number one target when he comes sneaking into your thought world. He wants to take the joy from you because he knows that if you have joy, Oh, he's in trouble. If you have joy in Christ, so we pray, Lord, be the peace of God to guard my heart and mind. Lord, catch the foxes that sneak into my vineyard. I need you to do this, oh God. Can you imagine having the peace of God as the guard of your heart? Can you imagine going a whole day without those arrows flying into your consciousness? Imagine going a whole hour. Imagine getting through one conversation with a coworker without any arrows darting into your heart, into your mind. The peace of God can guard against your hearts and your minds. Now, maybe you're thinking, that sounds awesome. How do I get one of those? How do I get a guard like that? What website can I click on to order one? I'll take four like the old Roman dignitary, I need this. Well, Paul gives us an amazing clue here of how to get the guard, how to get the peace of God as the guard for our hearts and our minds. He turns a phrase at the end of verse 9, after he mentions the peace of God, at the end of verse 9, he mentions the God of peace. As if to say, do you want the peace of God? Rely on the God of peace gather in a sanctuary like this every Sunday and worship the God of peace. Study the God of peace in your Bible. Pray to the God of peace. 
fall in love with, worship, learn about, talk to the God of peace, and he will give you the peace of God as the guard for your heart and your mind. There's another really practical way that I have found to ask God to guard my heart and my mind. I developed this practice some years ago. I've taught it to my family. Whenever I'm feeling those arrows darting into my mind, bitterness, envy, resentment, entitlement. When I feel them coming into my consciousness, sometimes I just I pray a little bit. I say, Lord, please protect my thought world. And I just take my finger and I just mark the sign of the cross right on my forehead like this. And I say, Lord, let no thought come into my mind right now that can't pass under the banner of that cross. I do this a lot. I've taught it to my children. Sometimes when my son, Riley, is having a bad dream or he can't sleep at night, I'll come in and I'll pray with him and I'll see him do it as well. We, we need this. We need the peace of God to guard us. When we have it, we can endure any situation. Here's an amazing thing, though, that Paul shows us in this letter. He says, we need the peace of God to guard our hearts and minds. We need the goodness of God. We need the promises of God. We need the truth of God to guard us against all those lies that come into our minds, not just in the hard situations, but also when things are going really well. We need the peace of God to guard against our hearts and minds. We need those lies not to come darting into our minds. Can you imagine what it would be like to have this peace of God, whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly? What would you think about? Where would your mind go in all of those situations? It actually tells us right here in the text what we would think about. Look, here's what it says in verse 8. It says, finally, brothers and sisters. Picture, now, just picture this now. Picture your mind as a vineyard. If no fox could come in and steal and destroy and give lies, what would you think about? What would your vineyard look like? What would go on in your heart and mind if the peace of God was guarding against all the arrows? Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I read this list a number of times this past week, and I realized that it's pretty much the opposite of the things I think about when I'm reading Twitter or watching television news or just left to my own devices. I start thinking about lies, things that are not honorable, things that are unjust, impure, and I realize I need the peace of God all the time, all the time to guard me against these things. Therefore, then I can face any circumstances, even when things go really well. I love this. Paul concludes, you might think he's going to say, if you ever find yourself in prison like I am, may the peace of God guard against your hearts and minds. But look what he says here in verse 12. Look what he says. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. Isn't that interesting? Here's a word for us in Fairfield County. How to face plenty. Did you ever think of plenty as something to face? No, we think of when you have plenty, now we can relax. 
Paul says we need to learn how to face plenty. We need the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds from the arrows that might come flying in when we experience success, when we get a huge bonus, when we get promoted, when things are going really well, when our kids get into the best school. Guess what? We need the peace of God to guard our hearts and minds in those situations as well. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A few weeks ago, I had back-to-back stories that happened in my life that illustrate this text, how we need the peace of God to guard us in abundance and in situations of trial. Uh, We had a couple over at our house for dinner, Nancy and I did. And it was one of those really cold nights. It was single-digit temperatures. It was absolutely freezing outside. And we were enjoying dinner with this couple. And by the way, they gave me permission to tell this story. And it was, it was time for them to leave. It was time for them to go home. And we were talking about how the husband had recently bought for the wife a brand-new luxury car with all the bells and whistles. This thing was sweet. I even got to drive it. This was an awesome car. And I looked at the car out there, putting on their coats, ready to go home. And I looked at the car out there on the driveway. And I said to the wife, I said, well, I'm sure he got the uh, remote starter so you can just warm it up so you can go out there and be nice and warm by the time you get out there. And she said, oh, no, he didn't. Can you believe that? She was mad at her husband for buying her a luxury car without a remote starter. Man, that happens to me sometimes, though. When things go really well, when I receive abundance, when something really great happens to me, I think, why not just a little bit more, right? The arrow of entitlement comes flying in to my thought world. If you're laughing right now, have you experienced this too? Is that why you're laughing? Uh Uh-huh. I know I have. The very next day, I had the other side of the example. I was in a department store picking up a pair of pants, And there were two employees of the department store, a man and a woman. And I witnessed the man terribly mistreat the woman. It was horrible. My spine chilled, and I wasn't even the one he was directing his wrath towards. It was so troubling. And they both knew that I saw it. And a few minutes later, I was at the cash register with just the woman who had just been totally belittled. And I was looking at her, and I noticed he wasn't anywhere else around, so I felt a little bit of freedom to check in with her and talk to her. I looked her right in the eyes, and I said, how are you doing? And she said, you know what? By the way, she did not know I'm a pastor. She said, you know what? My God is big enough to deal with him and to give me peace. That's what she said. And I said, can I pray for you? And I grabbed her by the hands, I looked her in the eyes, and we prayed, and I said, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind in this workplace as you go through all these long days with this man. May he guard your heart and your mind. And I said, amen, and she said, what Bible verse is that? And I told her, she said, will you email that to me? And she and I, we've been emailing ever since. Scripture, she saw on the signature of my email that I'm a pastor, so the secret was out. Um... But we need the peace of God to guard us when we've been given something really lovely, like success or material provision. We need the peace of God to guard us. I'm going to invite the praise band back up here. We're going to change our flow just a little bit this morning. We're not going to do the communion hymn like we normally do. They're going to bless us with a song before we go to the communion table.
But as they begin here, I want to just pray this over us. I want to invite you and myself into a way of thinking where we rely on the goodness of God, we rely on the promises of God, we rely on the peace of God to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know what you're facing right now, whether you're facing plenty or whether you're facing hunger or need. In either case, may the peace of God guard your heart and your mind. May the goodness of God be what you rely on. I don't know what the stock market's going to do this week. I don't. Whether it goes up or crashes all the way down, may the peace of God guard your hearts and your minds. May God catch for you the foxes that sneak into your vineyard and try to steal your joy. What God has for us is joy in any circumstance. How does he give this to us? How does he afford us this amazing joy? Jesus Christ is with us. The Lord is at hand, it says in our text. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us.
You may be seated. God is so good to us that he has given us the possibility of living in freedom in our interior world so that we can face any circumstance. How can I be so sure of that? Because of what Jesus did for us. He looked at all the arrows being flown all around the world, the arrows of sin, and he said, I'll take them all upon me. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus bore the wrath of sin, the wrath of the Father, all upon himself so that we could live in freedom of not having those arrows penetrate our hearts anymore. That's what he's done for us. He's the God of peace. We need to make agreement with the fact that we fire those arrows, that we have sin coming out of our own hearts before we come to this table. So I invite you to pray this prayer of confession with me and pray it from your heart. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your holy name. Amen. Scripture is clear. It says to us after we confess our sins that God does not treat us as our sins deserve, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so our God shows compassion towards those who fear him. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. I can happily declare that because of his finished work, we are forgiven.